Welcome listeners, but take heed. We will say whatever we need to share our knowledge, thoughts, and joy, and even things that do annoy. So join us now, but be aware, we have a tendency to swear. We'll dial it back a little bit, but frankly, we don't give a shit. Welcome to For Fuck's Sake, a Harry Potter book movie compare and contrast podcast. I'm Katie, and the Georgia River Otter talking with me through Skype is Ellen. A Georgia River Otter? Also, you sound pretty. Yeah. I'm bringing sexy voice back yet again. Third time's the charm? I guess. There's a reason why we're recording this through Skype today. Yes, I do believe I am an incubus of viral plague currently, so. So you stay on that side of the computer. Oh, I will. (laughs) (laughs) And let's just fly into the Phoenix flashback. Last week, we covered the second half of Chapter 17, Educational Decree Number 24, and the absolutely no corresponding film scenes. Neville squares up to Malfoy, but is held back only to be punished anyway because Snape got a Snape. Harry witnesses a battle between lawful evil and neutral evil and somehow ends up with more homework because of it. Parvati has about as much tact as Ron. Trelawney is ready to put strychnine in Umbridge's pumpkin juice. The twins show off the absolute worst way to get out of class. And nothing clues Hermione in to a bad idea more than Sirius agreeing with it. During episode 149, Lack of Tactical, our Potter pondering was, all things considered, do you think continuing with an illegal defense against the Dark Arts group was ultimately a good idea? Hey guys, Jackson here with this week's Potter pondering. So, all things considered, am I team Molly or team Sirius? when it comes to holding an illegal defense against the dark arts group. Well, I don't know. I definitely think that them doing it was a good idea to resist Umbridge because Voldemort was out there and they needed to know how to defend themselves. So, yeah, I guess I'd say Team Serious, but I don't know. I don't really feel like I'm Team either. I think I'm Team Harry, Ron and Hermione. I'm Team, yes, do it. If you want to get technical, I'm team Sirius. But then again, I don't like that Sirius just started being all proud when Harry started taking risks. You know, that was kind of meh. Hi, Ellen and Katie. This is Ashley with this week's Potter Pondering. Do I think that Dumbledore's army was ultimately a good idea? Team Molly or Team Sirius now? Y'all know I love Sirius. He's one of my favorite characters. His his death hit me the hardest. It's because I really wanted Harry to get the fuck from around the Thursdays as a kid because that shit pissed me off. But I gotta be Team Molly on this one, even though I want to say it turns into a good idea in the end, but not really because they generally did need to know that stuff. But could they have waited to next year? You know, like... <laughs> <laughs> was it necessary to do this right here right now with all this shit going on no as a mama no just no hi ellen hi katie it's me quincy so hear me out i am actually conflicted by this pondering 
I see both sides, right? I see Molly's side where she just doesn't want them to get in any more trouble and she wants them to be as safe as possible. But I also see Sirius's side, whereas how much do you sit and take while you're not actually learning anything at school, you know, while somebody is being a tyrant to you? So I'm actually kind of on both sides, but for the story's sake, I'm on Sirius's side because without them, you know, flaunting the rules and doing what they want to do, we wouldn't have had some interesting scenes in the book. Thank you so much for your responses. Our trivia question last week was, what skiving snack box isn't yet ready to sell since it also causes massive pus-filled boils that the twins haven't yet worked out how to get rid of? Fred and George were discussing which skiving snack boxes they could use to get out of Quidditch practice in the terrible weather and suggest using fever fudge, since Angelina wouldn't know about those yet. Ron wonders if they work, and they inform him that his temperature will go right up, but also mention the massive pus-filled boils that appear in a place they generally don't display to the public. Mmm. Ew. Congratulations goes to... Megan Slater. Whoa. <laughs> that was amazing. That was for you, Megan. <laughs> Just for you, honey. Just know that there was so much more enthusiasm in the Wahoo than it sounded. <laughs> she officially has a streak going again. This is two weeks in a row. Do you think she's going to keep it going? I don't know. We shall see. For now, let's dive into the first half of Chapter 18, Dumbledore's Army, and the sort of but not really corresponding film scenes. Chapter 18, Dumbledore's Army, Part 1 Hermione is positive that Umbridge has been reading Harry's mail, and Harry is outraged to think that she may have been the one to attack Hedwig. The two of them and Ron are using their time to practice silencing animals during charms class to have a whispered conversation about Hermione's suspicions ever since Filch accused Harry of ordering dung bombs. She thought it seemed like such a stupid lie that would have been revealed once his letter was read, so it was either a really feeble joke or an excuse for someone to read his mail. She manages to silence her frog, but Harry is so distracted that a wave of his wand causes his frog to swell and emit a high-pitched whistle. Hermione silences it for him as they discuss how close of a call that was for Snuffles. Ron comments that he doesn't think he'll risk it again and then completely fails to silence his raven. When Hermione tries to correct his technique, he testily tells her that ravens are harder than frogs and they swap. She immediately silences the raven, and Flitwick praises her before turning to Ron and asking to see him try. Flustered, Ron says the charm and accidentally pokes the frog in the eye, causing it to give a loud croak and leap off the desk. Neither Harry nor Ron are surprised to get extra homework practicing the silencing charm. Due to the rain, they all remain inside during break and find seats in an overcrowded classroom where Peeves is floating around and blowing ink pellets at unsuspecting students. Right after sitting down, Angelina finds them and announces that she went to McGonagall, who must have appealed to Dumbledore, and got permission to reform the Gryffindor Quidditch team. She informs Harry and Ron that she wants them on the pitch at 7 that night, since they are only three weeks away from their first match. Though happy to have Quidditch back, they aren't thrilled with the weather. 
Ron notices that Hermione also seems distracted and asks her what's up. She explains that she's just wondering if they're doing the right thing, starting the defense against the dark arts group. Both Harry and Ron are shocked and indignant since it was her idea to begin with, but Hermione says that she's starting to question it since Snuffles is all for it. Harry is angry to realize that she's thinking that way since he has always given them great advice. But Hermione is worried that being cooped up in Grimmauld Place has made him more reckless. She thinks he would love to be forming secret defense societies right under the Ministry's nose and is kind of living vicariously through them. Ron tells her that Sirius is right. She does sound just like his mother. And then they are distracted from the conversation when Peeves empties an entire bottle of ink over Katie's head. The weather does not improve as the day goes on, and at 7 that evening, Harry and Ron get soaked within minutes of heading down to the Quidditch pitch. In the temporary respite of the changing room, they find Fred and George debating whether or not to use one of their own skiving snack boxes to get out of practice. The twins are disappointed to conclude that Angelina would know exactly what they did, especially since they just tried to sell her some. George suggests trying the fever fudge since no one has seen that yet. But when Ron asks if it works, Fred explains that it does, but you also get massive pus-filled boils that they haven't worked out how to get rid of yet. During this conversation, Angelina emerges from the captain's office and begins her pep talk about the weather not being ideal, but that it could be the conditions they have to play against Slytherin in, and it's a good idea to work out how to cope now. She asks Harry about what he did to his glasses when they were playing Hufflepuff in the storm, and he explains that Hermione did it and tapped his glasses while saying impervious. Angelina has everyone follow suit, and they all stow their wands in their pockets and follow her out of the changing rooms. They attempt to play for nearly an hour before Angelina finally concedes that it's no use. They all head back into the dressing rooms, and as Harry is drying himself off, he feels another pain in his scar and says ouch loud enough for everyone to hear. He pretends he just poked himself in the eye but gives Ron a significant look. The moment they're alone, Ron asks if it was his scar and worries that he might be near them. Harry says that he's probably miles away and surprises even himself when he continues on to say that it hurt because Voldemort was angry. Ron is horrified and wonders if Harry had a vision or something. Harry sits quietly, allowing his memory to relax, and finds himself saying he wants something done, but it isn't happening fast enough. Ron wonders how Harry knows, and asks if he was angry the last time it hurt in Umbridge's office. Harry shakes his head and thinks back to that moment, realizing that the last time, Voldemort had been really pleased because he thought something good was about to happen, and before that, at Grimmauld Place, he was furious. Ron is in awe, saying Harry could take over for Trelawney, but Harry insists that he isn't making prophecies. When Ron says he's reading you-know-who's mind, Harry corrects him again, saying it's more like he's just getting flashes of his mood, which Dumbledore said was starting to happen last year. Ron says he's got to tell someone, but Harry isn't sure who, since last time he told Sirius, and he doesn't know how he can do that safely this time. When Ron suggests he tell Dumbledore, Harry shortly reminds him that he already knows so there isn't any point. He then changes the subject reminding Ron that they have to practice silencing charms, and they hurry back to the castle. Harry is deep in thought about Voldemort's stealthy plans, possibly involving a weapon he's trying to get his hands on, and wondering where it is now. 
He returns to his senses as Ron gives the password to the fat lady and they clamber through the portrait hole. It seems Hermione went to bed early, which is a relief to Harry, who doesn't want to hear her tell him to go to Dumbledore too. He pulls out his potions book and pretends to concentrate on his essay, but by midnight he gives up since he's been reading and rereading the same passage without taking in a word of it. He ends up falling asleep in the chair by the fire and dreaming about that long windowless corridor with the door at the end looming closer, feeling the desire and excitement to open it. Inches from the door, he's woken up by someone calling his name. A very sleepy and confused Harry asks who's there, and Dobby's squeaky voice replies that Dobby has his owl. Harry peers down at the little elf to see that he's wearing what looks like all of the hats that Hermione has ever knitted, one on top of the other, and perched on top of them is a serene and obviously cured Hedwig. He thanks the elf and looks closer, realizing he's also wearing several scarves and so many socks that his feet look far too large for his body. Harry asks if he's been taking all the clothes Hermione has been knitting, and Dobby explains that he's been taking some for Winky too. Harry asks how Winky is doing, and Dobby sadly explains that she's still drinking a lot and does not care for clothes. He also adds that none of the other house elves do either, and they're all refusing to clean Gryffindor Tower since they find all the hidden clothes insulting. This leaves Dobby to do all the cleaning himself, though he doesn't mind since he always hopes to meet Harry Potter and is happy that tonight he got his wish. He comments on how Harry does not seem happy and says that he wishes he could help him since he set him free and he's much happier now. Harry smiles and starts to say that he can't help him, but then realizes that the little elf might know of a place where 28 people can practice defense against the dark arts without being discovered by any teachers, especially Professor Umbridge. He doesn't actually expect Dobby to know of a place, but the elf gives a little skip and claps his hands, announcing that he knows the perfect place, known as the come-and-go room or the room of requirement. Harry asks why it's called that, and Dobby explains that it's a room that a person can only enter when they have real need of it, and when they do, it is always equipped with the Seeker's needs. Dobby has used it to help out a very drunk Winky, and he knows Filch has found extra cleaning materials there when he's run short. A memory stirs in Harry's mind about Dumbledore at the Yule Ball, and he asks if it would fill itself with chamber pots if you really needed a bathroom. Dobby expects it would, and when Harry asks how many people know about it, the elf tells him that it is very few, since they mostly only stumble upon it when they need it and often can't find it again. Harry thinks it sounds brilliant and asks Dobby if he can show him where it is. The elf is so excited about Harry's enthusiasm that he offers to take him there right away. Though Harry is tempted, he realizes that he needs to be smart about it and instead asks him for very specific directions. The movie section starts out as Neville quickly walks away from the cackling crab and goyle, glancing back over his shoulder before he turns a corner. As he walks down an empty corridor, he passes a large blank stone wall flanked by a tall stone torch. The blank wall begins to shift slightly and Neville hesitates as the sound catches his attention. He looks back at the wall, which is now magically transforming into a door that opens on its own for him. The scene transitions with a J cut of Hermione's voice telling Neville that he's done it, 
as he stands in awe in front of the open door before shifting to show a large room with a lit fire at the back. Hermione goes on to say that Neville has found the room of requirement, and when Ron asks what that is, the camera cuts to show her, Neville, Harry, Ron, and the twins standing in front of the door inside the room. Hermione explains that it's also known as the come-and-go room, and only appears when a person has real need of it, and is always equipped with the seeker's needs. Ron makes a comment about if you really needed the toilet, and Hermione sardonically calls him charming, but does concede that that is the general idea. Harry thinks it's brilliant and says it's like Hogwarts wants them to fight back. So these two sections kind of give you the same information? Yeah. Kind of? Kind of. It is definitely in a completely different way for each. Oh, yeah. And then, of course, there's also much more in the book that the movie left out. What? You're talking crazy now. Crazy Ellen. (laughs) Yep. Oh, that voice. Everybody loves a sexy voice. But anyway, the book chapter starts out with a conversation between Harry, Ron, and Hermione while they're in Charms class. And Hermione is just positive that it's Umbridge who's been reading Harry's mail, which makes Harry totally pissed off because now he's just like, wait a minute, do you think Pepto Bitch Mall attacked Hedwig? Yes, yes, Harry, we do. Yes. We think that's exactly what happened. As a matter of fact, I mean, I would bet quite a lot of money on it. And this is something that Hermione has suspected ever since Filch accused him of ordering dung bombs. Mm-hmm. Because her logic on it is, that's a really stupid lie. The moment anybody read that letter, they'd be like, well, you're not ordering dung bombs, so why were we told that? And it's either a stupid-ass prank or an excuse so that someone can read his mail. And now I would not put it past BD2 to come up with a stupid ass prank like that. It still seems far more likely that someone <clears throat> Pepto bitch mall is trying to read Harry's mail. Right. Like they were trying to get rid of the reasonable doubt. Yeah. Oh yeah. Well, you know, he probably did this. So we're just going to check all of his stuff. Cause that makes sense. Cause we can, mm-hmm. even though, Technically, we can't, but whatever. Police state in a school. Yeah. What I love about this whole conversation is they're practicing silencing animals. So that's just kind of happening in the background. And then, of course, Hermione is doing it really well. And she silences her frog without any issue. Mm -hmm. But Harry is just so distracted by their conversation that instead of silencing his frog, he somehow causes it to swell up like a green balloon and give out this really high-pitched whistle sound. Like, I'm just imagining this green balloon, vaguely frog-shaped teapot whistle, you know? <laughs> yeah. Kind of like in Shrek, when they blow up the frog and they attach it and they're walking down with the yes. blown-up frog. Yeah. Yes. It's kind of That's like exactly that. what it looked like. And it was whistling. Uh, yeah, except whistling. Like you do. Right. But Hermione silences the whistling frog for him. Thank you, Hermione. Right. And then they talk about how close that was for Snuffles. Hermione and Ron, let me specifically point this out. They are the ones using the codename Snuffles in this moment. (laughs) Ron says that he's not that worried about it because he doesn't think he's going to try and risk it again. He's got to know that he was nearly caught. 
And then he goes to silence the raven that he's working on, and it doesn't work. It just gives a loud squawk. Sure. Hermione does the Hermione thing and says, no, no, stop, stop. You're doing it wrong. (laughs) Tries to correct him, which just pisses him off. And he's just like, well, ravens are harder than frogs. So Hermione's just like, fine, trade me. And (laughs) she takes his raven, immediately silences it. And then just to make it worse... Flitwick happens to walk past them right in this moment. And he's just like, oh, good job, Miss Granger. And then he turns to Ron and says, let's see you try. Of course he does. Ron is very flustered, attempts to do the silencing charm on the frog and just pokes it in the eye. Oh, Ron, you Charlie Brown bastard, you. Which is not that surprising because Hermione, when she was correcting his technique, she did say that he was jabbing his wand too much. Yeah. So here's the consequence. Pokes the frog right in the eye. It gives a deafening croak and just hops off the desk. Probably just makes a full break for it. Oh, yeah. I mean, I can't blame it. Oh, God, no. You're taking my voice away and you're stabbing me in the eye. What the fuck, man? Right? How about you eat a dick and I'm going to hop the fuck away? Yeah, basically. That is the frog attitude right there. No wonder he gets no bitches. Just poking (laughs) people with his wand all fucking day. You know what he does get, though? Mm. Extra homework practicing the silencing charm. Yay! Oh, wait, that sucks ass. Yeah. But Harry does too, and honestly, neither of them are that surprised by it. So in the books, at least, we are currently in, like, October-ish time by this point. End of September, beginning of October. And it's just very, 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 I think I got enough berries in there. Very rainy. So it's Scotland, any day of the week. Yeah, right. It's actually raining so badly that they can't even go outside during their break. And they're all just kind of hanging out in an empty classroom that's completely overcrowded. And of course, has peeves floating around being a jerk and just like shooting ink pellets at random unsuspecting students. Like he does. Like he does. Absolutely. But they manage to find a seat in this overcrowded room. And the moment they sit down, Angelina comes running up to them and she's super excited because she went to McGonagall, who must have gone to Dumbledore, who was then able to overturn Pepto Bitch Mall's cuntness. And they actually got permission to reform the Gryffindor Quidditch team. Oh, I bet she loves that. She doesn't. And we're going to learn about that more later. I figured we would. (laughs) But despite the rain, she's just like, all right, Harry, Ron, we're going to have practice tonight at seven because we're only three weeks away from our first match so you know show up be prepared deal with it and they're super happy to have quidditch back but the weather is definitely dampening their spirits a bit and pun intended i was gonna say there's no way that was accidental i mean for fuck's sake if you didn't say it i was gonna do it for you <laughs> don't worry i said it oh i noticed ron looks over at Hermione, who is not affected by the weather and the impending Quidditch practice in the rain, but notices that she seems distracted too and wants to know what's up. And she tells him that she's just sort of wondering if they're doing the right thing with this Defense Against the Dark Arts group. Ah, so doubt has been sown into her little brain. Yes, Molly Weasley did exactly what she was hoping to do. It just didn't ultimately turn out how she wanted. Yeah. She tried. Gotta give her that. She did try. And she's not completely wrong. No. She has points. Mm Mm-hmm. 
But Harry and Ron are not the ones seeing them because they're like, what do you mean? This was your idea. Right. And Hermione's just like, yeah, I know. But now I'm starting to question it. And Harry's like, why? Snuffles thinks it's a good idea. And Hermione's just like, yeah, that's kind of the problem. Yeah, that doesn't actually bode well for that idea. And Harry's like, what do you mean that's kind of the problem? He's always given us great advice. Is he, though? I mean, yes and no, but mostly yes. He was far more responsible the previous year. Yeah, but also he's the one who, like, when Harry doesn't take a risk, he's like, I thought you were more like your dad, pussy. This year, yes, and that's exactly the point that Hermione makes. She thinks that... Being cooped up in Grimmauld Place the way he has been is just making him more reckless. Oh, yeah. He gets, like, risk boners. <laughs> Vicarious risk boners. <laughs> Episode title. <laughs> because he is basically living vicariously through them right now. And Hermione's just like, I think he'd love to be forming secret defense societies right under the ministry's nose. Yeah. And he would. It's exactly something that he and James would have been doing. Probably Lupin too, although I'm sure Lupin would have been more level-headed about it. And you just know that Pettigrew would just be like skipping along behind whatever they do. Right. He'd just be following along because he's a fucking follower and that's what he does. Yeah. But yeah, Sirius would totally be all about that life. He'd just be like, fuck this noise. Let's just do this. and Let's do this. Like if he weren't a wanted man, you can bet they wouldn't be able to keep him in that house. Oh, no, not even. I mean, they can barely do it when he is wanted. Very true. Ron's response to this is to just say, Sirius is right. You do sound just like my mother. And this is where I point out that he just flat out calls him Sirius. (laughs) Completely misses the fact that they're speaking in code. Also, he totally plays into that. Every man wants a woman like his mother trope. That technically does happen there, yes. Mm -hmm. Though I disagree with that trope, but... Oh, I disagree with the trope, too, but... (laughs) Moving on. They're distracted from this whole conversation because Peeves decides that ink pellets aren't enough and just dumps an entire bottle of ink over Katie Bell's head. So that would cause a little bit of a stir. A little bit. Yeah. I'd be pissed. I'd be so mad. (laughs) You damn poltergeist. I mean, if I had magic and I could just like magic it away, I'd be like, well, this is unsatisfactory. This is not a good thing to happen right now, but... Also, Scourgeify, fuck this. It would be funny to watch it happen to somebody else, probably. Yeah, true. But not to be the one it happened to. Nah, I guess not. Anyway, the book jumps forward a little bit and takes us to 7 that evening when the weather has not improved and they are just moving out to this Quidditch practice regardless. And just the walk from the castle to the changing rooms has them completely soaked. Yeah, from what I hear, damp is really just another color in Scotland. (laughs) Yeah, it's not weather. It's a way of life. Pretty much. But they do make it to the changing room and they find Fred and George in there discussing whether or not they should use one of their own skiving snack boxes to avoid having to practice in this weather. I feel like that would be a little suspicious. It definitely would, especially since they just tried to sell Angelina some the day before. Right? Like, there's no way she's not going to figure out what they did. Right. I can see Angelina just being like... Yeah, I don't care if your nose is gushing blood. Get the fuck out on that pitch, motherfucker. Like, eat the other goddamn end and get back to play. Yeah. You are on my time now, bitch. Right? 
George suggests that maybe they could try the fever fudge since no one's seen that yet. And Ron's just like, ooh, does that one work? Because he doesn't want to practice now either. And Fred tells him that it does. But you also get massive pus-filled boils that they haven't figured out how to get rid of yet. Which was our trivia question. And this is pretty funny because Ron's just like, I don't see any boils. And the twins are like, that's because they're in places where we don't generally display them to the public. And I'm sure we can all picture just where that is. And yikes. Oh, herpes fudge. Not a fan. (laughs) Not a fan, man. Oh, what would that be, though? Herpy bars. Like Hershey bars. Right? That's what I was just thinking, too. Oh, 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 oh. Herpes humbugs. Herpes humbugs. Herpes humbugs. Herpes humbugs. There it is. Mmm. Delicious. Not worth it. Although, if they could figure out a way to magically create herpes and magically get rid of it, maybe they could cure herpes once and for all. Yeah, maybe. But anyway, this conversation gets cut off because Angelina comes out of the captain's office and obviously they don't want her hearing them plotting. (laughs) But she gives her pep talk about how she knows the weather's not ideal, but there's a really good chance they could be playing in weather just like this against Slytherin. So they should figure out how to deal with it now. She also remembers that Harry did something to his glasses when they were playing in that huge storm against Hufflepuff. Mm Mm-hmm. And he's just like, well, that was Hermione, but she just cast impervious on it. And he taps his own glasses with his wand and says impervious. So now it'll repel water. And Angelina has everybody else do that, too. And once they do, they put their wands away and follow her out into the rain. Sounds like fun. Oh, yeah. And she actually forces them to play for nearly an hour before she finally admits that it's pretty pointless. Because Harry can't even see the bludger trying to attack him, let alone a snitch. Yeah, that's not a good idea. Like, I get that you haven't had practice in a while, but, I mean, maybe don't just jump right into it. Also, maybe don't have games if that's what the weather's like. Like, switch the match to a different day. You're also talking about a sport that goes on for, like, days at a time, or can go on for days at a time, and, like... Not when Harry Niffler Potter Marie is playing. Well, yeah. But anyway, she eventually calls it and they head back to the dressing rooms. And while Harry is drying himself off, he feels another sharp pain in his scar to the point that it makes him say ouch out loud. And he just randomly while toweling himself off goes ouch. (laughs) Naturally, everybody turns to look at him like, you okay? Yeah, right. And he pretends that he poked himself in the eye. Sure. But also shoots a significant look at Ron so he knows that he did not poke himself in the eye. With like a wink. Right. (laughs) I poked myself in the eye. Hoink. Hoink, hoink. But then the moment they're both alone, Ron's like, what, was that your scar? Are we near him? Is he near us? He can't be near us. No. Please tell me you just ate the fever fudge. Right. (laughs) And Harry says, no, he's probably miles away, but then goes on to say, without even thinking about what he's saying, he just says, it hurt because he's really angry. That's a very weird thing that he feels that. Yeah, and Ron is horrified by it, understandably. Yeah. And he asks Harry if he had a vision or something. So Harry just kind of sits quietly, like goes into a Zen mode and thinks and relaxes his memory and just sort of pictures 
everything that he felt and not really saw, but kind of saw in his mind. Yeah. When he felt that pain. And he finds himself saying that Voldemort wants something done, but it's not happening fast enough. Huh. And what I think is frustrating for me is we didn't get anything like this in the movies. No, oh God, not. not even a little bit. They did nothing to set up the connection between them except for a few weird dreams. That didn't even make sense. That just made it look like he ate yeah. fever fudge. They didn't even allude to the idea that he knew what Voldemort was feeling. Just some weird dreams that I guess you could say, oh yeah, that could be, but... Eh. Which, I mean, he's been having weird dreams since... Always? Ever, yeah. Like, it's not like that's anything new, right. so... It didn't set it up any better. No. Whereas this is blatantly telling us right now he can feel Voldemort's feelings. Yeah. When he's experiencing strong ones anyway. Yeah. And Ron wants to know how Harry knows all this, which is a very fair question. True. He also wonders if Voldemort was angry the last time that he felt his scar hurt when he was in Pepto Bitchmall's office. And Harry shakes his head because he knows that's not what it was. And he thinks back to that moment and realizes that he was experiencing happiness. He was pleased about something because he thought something good was going to happen. And Harry didn't quite recognize it at the time because he was in a fucking shitty situation and was not in a place to identify happiness. Yeah. He had some other emotions on his mind. Right. And then he also thinks back to when his scar hurt while he was in Ron's room at Grimold Place. And realizes that in that moment, Voldemort was furious. Yeah. I mean, all the puzzle pieces are kind of coming together for him at right. that point. Yeah. And Ron goes from horrified to more so impressed. He's like, dude, you could take over for Trelawney. <laughs> and Harry tells him that he's not making prophecies. Well, I mean, to be fair, neither does Trelawney, really. <laughs> well, some of them are lucky guesses. True. But... I don't know that that yeah. counts. <laughs> and Ron agrees saying, yeah, it's like you're reading you know whose mind. But Harry corrects Ron again saying, it's not reading his mind. It's more like I'm getting flashes of his mood, which Dumbledore pointed out was happening to him last year already because he could feel when he was particularly angry. He's like, I guess I can just feel him when he's happy now too. It's like strong emotions in general. It's just weird to picture Voldemort happy. I mean, I get that he would be happy about bad stuff, like, <laughs> but it's just kind of like, hey, what's Voldemort thinking about now? Ah, oh, puppies. I mean, maybe it's murdering puppies, but <laughs> I don't even want to think about the kind of things that would make Voldemort happy. BTS going back on tour? That's my <laughs> guess. Anyway. <laughs> well, you didn't know Voldemort was into K-pop? I mean, I guess nothing surprises me anymore. <laughs> But Ron says that Harry should tell someone and Harry's just like, who the fuck am I supposed to tell last time I told Sirius and I can't just send him a letter now. Yeah. There's no way for me to safely tell him. So Ron's just like, uh, go tell Dumbledore. And Harry's just like, Dumbledore already knows and I don't want to talk to that motherfucker. He keeps ignoring me. So I'm ignoring him back now. Yeah, that'll show him. Right? He doesn't know it, but I'm like, totes pissed. Harry then changes the subject to homework of all things. So you know he's done talking about this. Right. And he reminds Ron that they have to go practice the silencing charms. So they both hurry back to the castle. The entire time Harry is remembering what Sirius said about Voldemort being after something he didn't have last time. Like a weapon maybe. Yeah. So he's wondering 
what is this weapon? Where is it? Who has it? What would happen if he got it? Blah, 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 blah. Complete just like gets to the castle and up to his common room, the portrait hole, without even realizing everything that's going on. And he's sort of brought out of it when Ron says Mimbulus Mimbletonia to the fat lady to open the portrait hole. So he was kind of like on autopilot. Yeah. But then they clamber through it and realize that Hermione must have gone to bed early because she's not to be seen. And that actually kind of relieves Harry because he doesn't want to hear from her that she should go tell Dumbledore too. Because you know that's exactly what she'll say. Oh, absolutely. He doesn't need them to tell him. He already knows. He has them in his head. Mm -hmm. But he pulls out his potions book to start working on that essay. And by midnight just completely gives up because he's just been reading and rereading and reading and rereading the exact same passage and not taking any of it in. And I have totally been there before. That's most of my days, yeah. (laughs) And ends up just falling asleep in the chair right by the fire. Which, of course, then sends him right into a dream of that long windowless corridor with a door at the end that he keeps getting closer to. And he just feel this intense desire and excitement to get it open and get through it. Mm -hmm. But before he can, he's like inches from it. He hears somebody say, Harry Potter, sir, and wakes up. Well, that's not just somebody. Mm-hmm. That's our favorite goddamn house elf. Yes. Although Harry is sleepy and confused and just goes, who's there? <laughs> and then it's Dobby's squeaky voice. They said, Dobby, has your owl? Aww. I love Dobby so much. Dobby. Dobby. And Harry looks down at the elf and realizes that where he's looking down at his head, because he's sitting in a chair, he's still mm. sitting above him. And he's looking down at his face, but stacked on top of that little elf head is basically every single hat that Hermione has ever knitted, Aww. one on top of the other. And it makes him about two to three feet taller than he, what he normally is. That little fuck is just too goddamn wholesome for this world. I know, right? He's too precious. I love him so much. But then perched on top of all of the hats is Hedwig, who's just hooting serenely and clearly healed and is just happy to be back with Harry. Aww. Reunited and it feels so good. Exactly. (laughs) And Harry takes Hedwig and thanks Dobby and looks at him closer and realizes that he's also wearing several scarves and so many socks that his feet look far too big for his body. Which, I mean, they were already pretty goddamn big. Right. And he's just like, have you been taking all of the clothes that Hermione's been knitting for the elves? Well, nobody else is going to. And Dobby, kind of sheepishly, I imagine, says he's been taking some for Winky, too. And because Harry is a decent person, he asks how Winky is doing. And Dobby is just super sad to tell him that she's not doing well. She's still drinking a lot and she doesn't care about the clothes. And then he also tacks on that none of the other house elves do either. And they're just all flat out refusing to clean Gryffindor Tower right now. I don't want to say we told you so. Well, this is what I think is pretty interesting here. Dobby says it's specifically because they find all the hidden clothes insulting. Yeah. So I don't even think it could set them free. Yeah. I think they just recognize what it represents and are like, fuck you, bitch. Clean up your own shit. (laughs) 
But what is really happening is Dobby is just doing all of the cleaning of the entire Gryffindor Tower by himself. Sweet little Dobby. I mean, at least he has magic. So there's that. I mean. Right. And he honestly doesn't mind because he hopes that it means he'll get to meet Harry Potter. And today his wish came true. Yay. But he does comment on how, like, he's so happy that he gets to see Harry Potter, but he notices that Harry Potter is not happy. And he really wants to do something to help make him happy because Harry Potter set him free and that made him happier than he's ever been. Dobby wants to pay it forward. This makes Harry smile because how do you not smile at this fucking adorable elf? Right? And he starts to say that there's nothing that Dobby can do to help him, but he thinks about it and thinks, hey, actually... Maybe he knows something about the castle that I don't and knows of a place where 28 people can practice defense against the dark arts without getting discovered by Pepto Bitch Mall. Yeah. Doesn't hurt to ask. So he tells him what he's looking for and he doesn't expect Dobby to actually know of anything, just figures it can't hurt to ask. Yep. And in the opposite of hurting sense, it really didn't hurt because... The elf gives a little skip and claps his hands. And he's like, Dobby knows the perfect place. And he says that it's known as the come and go room or the room of requirement. So that was the complete antithesis of hurting. Yes. Mm -hmm. Total opposite. Harry wants to know why it's called the come and go room or the room of requirement. And Dobby tells him that it's a room that a person can only access if they have a real need of it. And then when they do, it's always got what they need right in it. He's used it before to help out a very drunk Winky. And when he used it, there was like an elf-sized bed and some remedies for drunken house elves and stuff like that. That's a goddamn adorable. Right? And then he said that he also knows Filch has found extra cleaning materials there when he runs short. And since Filch is not magical, I have a feeling that he just thinks it's a broom cupboard. Probably. But for all, I mean, he probably doesn't run out that much. Yeah. And for all he knows, there's just a broom cupboard there that appears when he needs it or something, you know? He may not ever think to try it as something else. It's not like Filch is the sharpest tool in the shed. Especially not movie Filch, but we'll get to that. (laughs) But anyway, upon hearing all of... These things that could appear and could be useful to somebody who finds this room. It stirs in Harry's mind a comment that Dumbledore made in passing while they were at the Yule Ball. About how he came upon a room one night that I believe he called it a beautifully proportioned room filled with chamber pots. Mm -hmm. And he made the comment about not knowing if it only appeared... On a certain night, if the moon was full or if the seeker had an exceptionally full bladder. Yeah. And Harry says, would the room fill itself with chamber pots if you really needed a bathroom? And Dobby's like, yeah, Dobby expects it would. (laughs) So Harry wants to know how many people are aware of this room because obviously Filch knowing about it is not the greatest thing ever. But Dobby says that it's very few since they mostly only stumble upon it when they need it and then often can't find it again. Yeah. It's more like they don't even realize that that's what it is. Right. And it could be like, I could have sworn this is where I found those extra cleaning materials. There's no door here. That's weird. Where was I? And then they walk away. Right. Yeah. In a magic castle, you probably get used to that kind of shit. Like, right. Hey, this was here yesterday and now it's not. I mean, the suits of armor will walk away. So, yeah, things change. 
the stairs, everything. The stairs, right? But anyway, all of this sounds amazing to Harry. This is perfect. And he asks Dobby if he can show him where it is. Mm-hmm. And Dobby is absolutely thrilled that he can do something to help Harry Potter. So he's just like, yeah, I'll take you right now. Let's go. And it is after midnight, but Harry's just like, okay. And then goes, shit. <laughs> I have to be smart about this. I cannot mess this up. Mm-hmm. Instead, he's like, okay, can you just give me really specific directions for how to get there? Like the Google Maps version. The Marauder's Map yes. GPS. <laughs> <laughs> but that's where we're going to cut off the book section right here. Yeah. And since that's not how it happened in the movie... Let's just go over that then, shall we? Okay. The movie section starts out as Neville makes like a bread truck and hauls his buns away from the chortling crab and goyle, which as you remember from the last episode, they totally shoulder check him and are dicks because that's what they do. They tweedle douche and tweedle dumbass him. Yes. So he's just like, fuck this, I'm out. He continues to put distance between himself and, like we said, Tweedle douche and Tweedle dumbass, and he ends up walking down an empty corridor. He passes a big-ass blank stone wall and carved pedestal holding a bowl of fire, which any gamer will tell you deserves a closer look, right? Right. Like, at the very least, you might get some XP or some coins or some shit. Who knows? Something. But Neville obviously doesn't game, and he just keeps on walking. Until, that is, the wall starts to wiggle and contort and make some grinding sounds, and that makes Neville stop, and he's like, the fuck is that? He inspects the wall and sees that a door is forming out of fucking nowhere, and Neville stands in the now open doorway wondering what was in his morning gillyweed, because... That's some good shit for sure. Right? <laughs> You know Neville totally wakes and bakes. Once Neville figures out that he isn't just tripping balls, he brings the trio and the Weasley twins to check this shit out. Hermione congratulates Neville since he found exactly the room that they need at exactly the time that they need it. What are the odds? What? What? And this is interesting since it was Dobby who tells Harry about it in the book. Mm Mm-hmm. I'm not actually... Sure that I mind this change, though. Yeah. I think it streamlined everything fairly well. And we already know that Neville becomes the expert on the Room of Requirement later. Mm-hmm. So it fits pretty well of all of the people they could have picked to replace Dobby. Yeah. It worked okay, I think. Like, I'm not a fan of the fact that we didn't get Dobby. But at the same time, if we couldn't have Dobby, I appreciate having Neville in this spot. Right. It's interesting, too, because we just talked about in Goblet of Fire with the gillyweed. Originally, it's Dobby in the book who gets the gillyweed for Harry for the lake task. And in the movie, it's Neville. Right. So it's kind of interesting that they did this again. I guess they view Neville and Dobby as interchangeable? Maybe. I don't know. (laughs) I'd like to know what our keepers think about this change. Definitely. Too. Potter pondering. Potter pondering. (laughs) But yeah, like this room is just huge and there's a fireplace and mirrors and it's creepy as shit. So it could work as either a training room or a sex dungeon. So fucking score. That's a win-win. Score. I see no downside. <laughs> Hermione refers to it as the room of requirement, but we all know what the boys will call it. The clothing optional fight club room. 
the COFCR. Right. (laughs) Trying to move on, Hermione, probably feeling jealous that Neville stole a second plot from Dobby, decides to steal some lines from him and says that it's also called the come and go room, which... I mean, cue Snickers from this side of the room, because yeah, it is. Giggity? <laughs> right? Come and go. Anyway. The come and go sex dungeon? Right. Uh, yeah. Different kind of come. Ew. <laughs> <laughs> Why is this room sticky? <laughs> that's an entirely, that's an entirely different mental image than I had, but that's even funnier. <laughs> You're welcome. Ooh, that's dirty. Moving on. But the best part about this place is that it's always equipped with the Seeker's needs, because that couldn't possibly be dirty in a school full of hormonal teens. Like, there's no way that could go wrong. Just say. Or it could go very wrong. Or very right. What? Uh, let's keep going. However, since this movie is only rated PG-13, Ron just goes for bathroom humor, literally, and asks about finding a room when you really need the toilet. Thus taking the Dumbledore story, basically. Yeah, it actually kind of merges that original moment from Dumbledore back in Goblet of Fire with Harry's line in this chapter. Yeah. Hermione, of course, is unamused. But she does confirm that the scenario would play out pretty much the way he's thinking. So Yeah, and it's interesting here because we have several things that are word for word, and I would call them dings, except none of them are the right people saying them. Yeah. It's like script roulette. (laughs) You get a line, you get a line, you get a line, you're dead. (gasps) Oh, it's like that improv game, Scenes from a Hat. Yes. There's all the lines in the hat and then they each pick a line out. Yeah, it's just like that. Just like it. Meanwhile, Harry is just stoked as fuck that the school just hooked him up with a sex dungeon. Uh, uh, Fight club. The first rule about sex dungeon club? Don't talk about sex dungeon club. (laughs) (laughs) But there is really nobody new no. in this movie scene because there's barely any movie scene. Right. And it's all people that we've seen and talked about before. Mm-hmm. So we can just move on to the Potter pondering. Which is, what are your thoughts on how the movie has Neville find the room of requirement rather than Dobby, like in the book? Find the post on our Facebook page and share your thoughts. Or call us at 216-526-6792 and leave your response as a voicemail. Make sure you start off telling us your name and then go into your answer. If you want it in the next episode, then try to get it called in by Wednesday before the next episode goes up for us. If you can't make that deadline, don't forget, you can also stitch your response on TikTok or just comment on social media. Mm-hmm. We really look forward to reading, hearing, and seeing them. This will bring us to our Sorting Hat story, which is from Tara Hill. She writes, I'm a Gryffindor. My Ilvermorny house is Puckwudgie. I have an Elmwood wand with a unicorn hair core, 11 inches, and quite bendy flexibility. My Patronus is a deerhound. I got into Harry Potter because a wise friend handed me a book and said that I would enjoy it. I also have a Jeep with a Gryffindor sticker and a coordinating sticker that reads, You can love the art and not love the artist. Best part? The license plate is flu powder. It's spelled F-L-O-O-P-D-R. Flu powder. I love it. I'm not going to lie. It took me an embarrassing amount of time to figure out what that was trying to say. Floop doctor. Okay. (laughs) I was like, floop door? 
what's going on? But I love it. It's so cute. I do. It's adorable. Thank you so much for sharing your sorting hat story with us, Tara. Yes, thank you. And if any of the other keepers out there listening would like us to read your sorting hat story on a future episode, you can email it to us at forfoxsakepodcast at gmail.com. Let us know your house, wand, Patronus, how you got into Harry Potter, and anything else you might want to share with us. Or you can message it to us over social media. This week's trivia question is, what book does Hermione begin reading when they first find the Room of Requirement? The first one who responds with the correct answer and the code word, hashtag leatherbound, will get a sticker. Speaking of sex dungeons. <laughs> Another way to get a sticker is to rate and review us through iTunes or Facebook. Make sure to email us at forfoxsakepodcast at gmail.com to let us know you did, and we will get back to you to figure out which sticker you want and where to send it. Don't forget to find us and follow us on Facebook, Twitter, and Instagram at foxsakepod. Following us on Podbean at foxsakepod.podbean.com will get you the episode as early as possible and give you a leg up in answering the trivia question. You can also go to our website at forfoxsakepodcast.com to check out our For Fox Sake and Harry Potter related merchandise for sale. Don't forget to subscribe to our YouTube channel where we post our weekly podcast episodes, cooking show episodes, vlogs, bloopers, and other random videos. If you would like to support us as a patron, you can sign up on patreon.com slash foxsakepod. $2 and up a month will get you some awesome perks like For Fox Sake swag, access to patron-only Facebook groups, chats, our Discord channel, virtual hangouts, and more. As always, any support you can give is greatly appreciated, even if it's just telling your Harry Potter friends about us. And if you don't have any Harry Potter friends, there's another reason to join our Patreon because you will meet some of the best Harry Potter people ever. I mean, just the best people ever, really. There's that too. Period. End of sentence. And join us next week when we talk about the second half of Chapter 18, Dumbledore's Army, and the montaged corresponding film scenes. Thanks for listening. We hope you hear us again. I'm Katie. I'm Ellen. And in the meantime... Keep calming Harry on! Oh, for fuck's sake.